my concern is what happens when Christians don't listen? What happens when husbands and wives don't listen to each other? What happens when parents don't listen to their children? If we don't listen, our words are not shaped right for the person that we talk to. The idea of double listening is that we would be listeners to the Word of God and anchored in the Word of God, but also tuned in to the people that we minister among. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, hey, last episode for the year. And I would encourage you, and I'll do this rather quickly so we can jump into our topic for today. And that is to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and check out the 54, 55-some podcast episodes that are there, and also a good number of blogs that I have written. Uh, Hey, today we're going to be talking about a theology of listening. Uh, We're going to be talking about the gospel and listening. Have you thought before that perhaps listening can be one of the greatest tools that you have to uh, serve Jesus? Uh, to understand people's hearts and their burdens and also communicate uh, the heart of the gospel and to capture the beauty of God being a listening God. Uh, Today we're going to be interviewing my good friend Daryl, Pastor Daryl Handy. Uh, This is the second episode or second podcast I've done with him and uh, you can go back and look up the previous podcast I did with Daryl. Uh, Daryl, as I said, is a good friend of mine. He's also a pastor in Silva, or actually Dillsboro, North Carolina. And I think you will be very challenged and encouraged as you listen to my interview with him. And I would encourage you again to share this with your pastor, share this with your ministry leaders, with your elders. Uh, I think it'll be a blessing to them. So let's jump in to that podcast interview right away. All right, it's great to have on Zoom conferencing here, Daryl Handy, talking about uh, a fascinating subject of listening. Daryl, it's good to have you on. This is your second podcast with me. How are you doing today? Thanks, Mitch. It's good to be with you, and uh, I'm doing well. Looking forward to this. Uh, Tell me again where you are and what you're doing. Sure. I serve as a pastor for a, a small church in Silva, North Carolina. Uh, small in size, but uh, great in love for the Lord and, nice. and for each other. Yeah, I love that. Um, yes. Hey, we're we're talking about learning to listen today, and and I think it's a well, I know it's a great subject for pastors, and again, the audience of these podcasts, I hope, are uh, people in ministry and people who love the ministry, uh, people who are leaders in church, but also love the idea of church. And uh, when, you, when you told me you'd been researching this, I thought, man, this is, this is a subject that's so important because listening is, not, uh, is often not something that's taught, and we don't intentionally sometimes talk about the importance of, min- of listening as a ministry tool or maybe as an attitude. So what's behind that topic for you? How, how personal uh, is it? Um, I know there was some professional motivation behind it as well, but love to hear the background on why that's been so important to you. And I will listen now. <laughs> <laughs> right. What a, what a dangerous topic, right? For I know, us to I know. Talk about because uh, a lot of scrutiny here if we don't listen to each other just right. What, what's um, that? Did you, what did you say? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Touche. Uh, so 
Yeah, you asked how personal it is. Um, honestly, this is it's about as personal as it can be. Um, it, yes, there's some professional interest, but it really has overflowed from my life and ministry. And and I don't have a particular um, particularly sensitive story in terms of you know someone failed to listen to me and it was catastrophic or anything like that. <laughs> but the reality is, um, you know, who hasn't experienced that dehumanizing feeling when someone pays no attention to you? You know, we yeah. we kind of we get that, you know, if you're running to the grocery store or the hardware store or something and someone, you know, you're walking by people all the time, you don't expect to be listened to. But when, when people who we care about or who care, who say that they care about us, when they don't listen to us, it really goes in deep and it, it, it brings a certain pain that is unlike any other pain. Um, mm -hmm. We expect to be listened to in certain environments. You know, when doctors listen, we call it good bedside manner. Um, when friends listen, we kind of, we expect them to pay attention to us, but when friends don't listen, we get hurt at a deep level. Uh, when doctors don't listen, we get sick or we die. Um, my concern is what happens when Christians don't listen? What happens when husbands and wives don't listen to each other? What happens when parents don't listen to their children? Um, there's, there's a great pain in life when we don't listen to each other and a great blessing when we do. And I don't like that pain for myself or for my family or friends, my church, people I know. Um, but even beyond the pain of people not listening, there's something even more precious at stake when we don't listen. And that's personal for me, too. When we don't listen, we fail to represent God well. And when we fail to represent God, we fail really in the worst way. Hmm. Uh, for people of God, they miss out on experiencing God through our lives. But for those, those who don't know Jesus, they miss out on having a living, tangible example with good works. Um, so when we don't listen to people, we're really saying to people something that's not true about the God that we serve. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love that. And we're going to be talking about the importance of questions, obviously, in, in the whole commitment and attitude towards listening. Uh, and Jesus ask questions. I mean, a lot of what he did in his interaction with people uh, were, they're intentional questions, but the, the sense is that, uh, well, it's, it's obvious that he, he leaned in, you know, he listened carefully to where people were. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, that God is a listener. And when I say you mentioned, you wrote a paper about this and I read that and that's some of the questions I'll have here or statements will be from that. So tell, tell me real quickly about that, because that was when I mentioned that there was a bit of a professional motivation for this. Uh, the paper, what was that? Why did you write a paper about this? Sure. So, uh, you know, I look at a seminary class as a great opportunity to mm -hmm. pursue things that God, God has already put on my heart. Um, and so I wrote this paper on listening because I really wanted to dive deeper into this idea um, and this reality. Uh, you talked about Jesus listening, and I, I think that that's so true. Um, what I started to see was that really it's hidden in plain sight that God is a listener from, from Genesis through Revelation. Mm -hmm. And that has always, since I saw that, that, that's really floored me because really if anyone doesn't need to listen, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. the Lord. You know, truly one of the tenets of the Christian faith is that God knows everything. And so why would he need to tune in? Why would he need to listen? He doesn't, he doesn't need to listen. He doesn't need to use any faculties to know everything, but he does know everything and he still chooses to listen. And that has really blown me away. And I think that 
if we get that, if we understand that this is part of the character and behavior of God throughout Scripture, it has to change how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves as listeners to the people around us. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, and uh, I think um, in your paper you reference Exodus three seven that God heard their cry, and you know his his first response to uh, rescuing the Israelites in Egypt uh, was out of that that context, that statement that he heard their moaning, he heard their groaning. And, uh, and what did he do? He moved in to rescue them. So it's really, it's at that, it's at the heart of the gospel as well, that God has heard our cry and, and he's responded to that. Um, we, we often, oh, and, and, and I love your, your statement you started out with, uh, maybe you could, you could follow up on that a little bit more that we represent God as listeners and people are often longing for God to hear them you know, that's what prayer, a lot of prayer is, is really, you know, uh, uh, expressing ourselves, our pain, our desires, passions, or whatever. And we, we wait for God to respond. We want him to be listening. He, he does through his spirit, through the word, but he does it through us too. So how do you, how do you tie that together there? That uh, when you say that he repre- we represent him in listening. Yeah. So we're, we're ambassadors of Christ. Um, and even if we didn't have the calling to go into the world, but we do have that calling, but even if we didn't have that calling, you know, anytime that we are associated with something, um, when we interact with people who are not a part of that thing, we stand as representatives. And so Christ has commissioned us to go into the world and, and to make disciples. And as we make disciples, as we draw people to Christ, we we are inviting people to see our lives as messengers and he has put us in the world to be lights for people to see that point them to him. You know, scripture talks about um, in Matthew about, you know, let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So this is part of what we are called to do and part of what we need to be about. But I think that why well, I actually know a little bit from talking with people so many people don't expect and don't experience Christians to be great listeners. Mm. And I, I think that that is really, honestly, catastrophic. It's not, it's not violent. It doesn't you know, shake things up in the immediate. But over time, that erodes the witness of God in people's lives. It erodes this idea of who God has shown himself to be. When we don't listen, it makes other people think, oh, that God that they say they serve, he must not be a listener. He must not yeah. cherish me because his people don't seem to care. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and listening conveys caring. It conveys compassion, doesn't it? Uh, I like to be practical in these podcasts. So sometimes I'll ask someone, I didn't prepare you for this question, but I know you're, you're good on your feet. Um, being a former basketball player that you are or were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like people to share stories and give examples. As you look back over your life, can you think of someone who listened well to you and that that had an impact in your journey? Yeah. So I love that question um, because it gives me an opportunity to, to say something that I know not a lot of people can say. Mm. But the first examples that I have of great listeners were the, the two people that brought me into the world, my parents. And, and then my brother. Um, and I was born into a family and raised by a family who, who are good listeners. They care about, we care about each other as family. And that care for one another has shown up time and time again. Even I shared with you recently that, you know, even to the last week, 
um, my family expressing a high regard for me through listening. And I, I've seen that throughout my life. But I would even turn your question around and say, I think that for most of us, the people who have been most impactful in our lives have probably been good listeners. And so I can look back and point out people who are good listeners and talk about their impact. But I would actually say that on the flip side, the people who have been most impactful in most of our lives have probably tuned into us well. If we were hurting, they paid attention and they listened and they helped guide us to where we could get healing. If we were confused, they listened to our confusion and they helped walk us out of that confusion. Um, some of my favorite teachers in school, um, from, from grade school to seminary, some of my favorite teachers were those who listened well and they really tuned in to where the students were. Yeah. So that, and then that modified what they taught or they said, hey, come after class, I wanna help you understand this better. Um, so I would say that for most of us, a lot of times the people who have been most impactful in our lives have had this characteristic uh, going well in them, that they mm -hmm. were good listeners and they tuned into us. Yeah, and, and listening is not just asking good questions. It's, uh, I, I wish I'd thought of this before we talked and I'll, I'll put this link up on, on the website, but Larry Crabb wrote a book on, uh, I, think it's, I think it's called uh, Something Soul and, and he, the, the whole book is about that, about listening, but listening to someone's heart not just listening to the answers to the questions, but get beneath that. And uh, it's, that, was, that was a really helpful book to me. Uh, I think I read that about two years ago. Uh, but again, asking good questions uh, requires listening to those questions. And I, I, I think I've mentioned this, uh, or probably put this in the notes, that uh, one of the pastors that I, I, I felt that I was able to help several years ago uh, valued the questions that I asked him. But one time, one time he says, he, he said to me, he said, Mitch, you ask great questions, but sometimes uh, you don't let me finish the answer before you ask another question. Oh. And you talk about stopping in your tracks. It was a real, it was a wake up call because again, I do feel that I, I do ask very intentional questions. In fact, anytime I meet people, I, I find myself asking a lot of questions. I value that. Um, but you need to stop and give time to listen to, to the answer, don't you? That's right. And because <clears throat> a lot of times I think, and I've seen this in my own life with, sadly, with my wife and kids um, and with people I care about, that sometimes I can ask good questions. But really, if I'm being honest, it, it's an excuse to move the conversation or it's a strategy to move the conversation to another place. Mm -hmm not to actually draw out their information or, or their heart and then care for their heart. Um, and so when we ask questions, if, we, if we're drawing out information from people or drawing out their, their feelings and their concerns, we have to steward that well. So we have to receive the information that we get. If we don't do it, it's almost worse than if we had not asked the question in the first place because it's like we awaken something in that person and like, oh, good, they, they care about how this went or they care about my mm. hopes or they care about this thing I want to teach. But then if we don't listen, it's like, oh, <laughs> they actually don't care. They just, I wonder why they said that in the first place. So mm. That, mm. there's a whole different pain of asking but not following up. Yeah, I mean, what, what are the, the kind of, you have two boys, what are the kind of questions you feel they need from a dad? Oh, yeah, that's great. So I, my, both my boys are teenagers now and 
And you're asking different questions of them than you would have when they were younger, obviously. Exactly. One of the transitions that my wife and I, Ann and I, have talked about in the past year is that we need to move away from um, so much instruction to more inspiration. So Mm -hmm. away from just telling them, do this, don't do this, think this way. You need to understand this concept. They've gotten a ton of that, especially as pastor's kids. They've gotten tons of information spoon-fed, force-fed to them Mm -hmm. over their lives. Now, if I just give them more information, I'm really kind of overwhelming them. And what, so what they need now is questions of application. Hey, you know, tell me about what you're, what you're thinking about that thing that you just heard. You know, if they hear a teaching from me or from somebody else, what did you think about that? And immediately when I ask that question, I have to turn off all those lights that light up in my brain. Like, Oh, I hope they say this. I hope they say this. I hope that they like that part. I hope that part really Mm -hmm. challenges them. I have to shut that down and really quiet my own soul and mind and, and be ready to hear and welcome what they say. I think of listening as communication hospitality. I need to be ready to welcome what they say. And if they say, I didn't like that, I, I can't just you know, go off on what's so important to me because that's not going to help them grow. So I need to learn to ask them questions that, that are directing directing my ear and my heart to what's going on inside of them. How are they processing the mm-hmm. world? That's no, it's great. Um, and uh, we, we talked about how it shifts as they get older. It's interesting in my relationship with my kids. I hope they're not going to listen to this. Uh, actually, I'm fine if they do. Uh, be good, a good conversation if they do. We can, we can follow up on it. But I, I found that because I asked, especially when they were in high school and college, I would often ask questions to keep the relationship healthy. And it's one of the ways that I feel that you nurture a, an ongoing relationship. But uh, one time my, my son, again, we have a great relationship. He's very honest and we speak in, into each other's lives very openly. Uh, but he, he actually uh, suggested that maybe I don't ask as many questions to let them initiate sharing from their heart because they know I'm there to listen. They know I'm there to process with them. And so sometimes asking questions was putting too much pressure on them. Uh, So listening sometimes means not asking any question, but just being available, particularly for family where people know each other's hearts really well. That's right. And, uh, and they read the mood, you know, and they know when the right time is to to bring things up. Um, I love your emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit in, in listening. In fact, let me quote something you write uh, you say that with the creation of, an, of a new people, the Lord equipped his people to listen and discern. So the Lord, again, the Lord equipped his people to listen and discern with abilities beyond what was natural to them, which they did. And you quote 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And then you continue, and likewise taught each other by the spirits. Um, what, is the, what is the role? What do you believe theologically, biblically, is the role of the Holy Spirit in asking good questions? Well, and, and what do good spirit-directed questions do in our relationship with one another? And how does that happen? I mean, how do we really uh, bring that into our interaction with people so that's not just a, uh, you know, a theological point that we're making? Yeah, great. So um, I think that there were three, three questions in there. I'll try to get them in order. And, but if I miss one, please bring us back. Um, you asked first about kind of what what do I think is the role of the Holy Spirit in asking good questions. 
I, I don't think that we can do any good lasting work as followers of Christ apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I think the fruit of the Spirit, just as with every other part of the Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit is necessary for great communication. Um, questions that we actually listen to require us to be patient and kind and gentle and peaceful and self-controlled. Um, you know, I think about, and I know you've experienced this in ministry, we who have been trained, we have a lot of information. We've been, if we regard scripture highly, as I know you and I both do, we have a lot of answers in our head and heart. And so we might ask someone a question about some part of life. And in that moment, it's kind of like what I described before about talking with our children, um, without the, obviously, uh, the differences between children and people in our congregations. But if we ask a question, we need to be ready to hear the answer that people give. So let's yes. say I ask someone about what they, you know, what kinds of stuff do they do uh, for fun? That can be a leading question where I'm just trying to get an opportunity to say some things, or that can be a question where I actually receive what they say. If they start to tell me about all these uh, terrible things that they do for fun, you know, just gross immorality and taking in all kinds of things into their head and heart that are, that are just evil. I have a decision to make in that moment. Here's where the Holy Spirit comes to bear. Mm. If he is not at work in me, making me loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, and, you know, generous of heart, um, self-controlled, gentle. And we, you and I have seen this all the time. If, if he is not at work in me, making me those things, when someone gives me a real answer and they say, yeah, actually, you know, I, I, I do such and such every week, I'm going to lay into them. How do you not know how wrong that is? How could, I can't believe, I thought I knew you and, and what's your problem? Why would you ever do this? That doesn't help them at all. Mm. Now there's a place for rebuke. There's a place for correction, but we need to correct and rebuke in the same fruit of the spirit that we need to listen with. So if I come at someone, once they've shared honestly something that they're engaged in, if I come at them not in a loving way, not patient, not gentle, not self-controlled, I'm not walking in the Spirit. But so many times, I know I've been tempted to to live this way, and I'm, I'm confident that others have. It's tempting to just feel like we have the moral high ground because we know with our heads what's right. We are tempted to lay into people when they're not doing what's right. Yeah, and, and with that comes the commitments. You know, let's say someone does answer a question that, that uh, it's like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Um, I, I, their tendency is, is to deflect. I mean, if we, if we commit ourselves to that question, to, to the answer to, to that question, and someone shares something that devastating go in their life, suddenly we're committed to them. We can't, can't just give a pat answer and, and leave. And again, I, I like examples when I, and this, the reason I bring this up is because it, it, it had huge impact on me when I was 15 years old, maybe 16. I'd grown up as a missionary kid, had gone through depression, was back in the States, was attending a summer camp. And someone came up to me and it was an adult and they said, Hey, t- where are you from? What, you know, and I, I started sharing about where I was from and what I had gone through. And he said, Oh, that's, you know, I'd I'd love to hear more about that sometime. And then he walked away and that that's a common response that we'll say to, to each other. 
uh, you know, I'd love to hear more about that sometime. It takes commitment to stay, even interrupt what you're doing and, and, and give, you know, more time to, to the individual. And, and with that, you, you and I, we've talked about this book. It's, it's a secular book called The Anatomy of Peace, right. uh, which is just a phenomenal book on how to deal with conflict. But it talks about looking, uh, you know, dealing with tension, not as, by looking at people as objects, but as people. And what you and I have inserted to kind of uh, complete that idea is that we, you know, we are image bearers. And even this, the, the sinful, secular, pagan person uh, is an image bearer. You know, they are, they are made in the image of Christ. And the Holy Spirit-directed questions requires us to see one another as soulish, as as uh, Larry Crabb uses the, that term in that book that I don't remember the name of. Uh, how important is that to to in the moment realize? That, wow, this person has a heart and a soul. There's far more than than what I see visibly, uh, and especially as a pastor, how how important is that to nurture that perception of each other? Yeah, I think I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think that's absolutely crucial. And that that's one of the things that, that came up in my research is just that really we can't listen to people well and in a faithful way that God is at work in our listening. We can't do that if underneath it in us is not a, a rugged sense of being made in the image of God. Mm. Just like you said, you know, if we, and that's why I used the word earlier about it's dehumanizing. Um, we've been made in the image of God. We, we bear the image of God. We reflect God. <clears throat> like you said, the, the person who's walking in the worst sin still reflects the creativity of God, still reflects the, the hand of God making them, you know, in all the functions of humanity that we see in Jesus. Each person is made in his image. And so if we don't value the image of God in the person that we're interacting with, we will treat them as something less than an image bearer. And like you said, that so often is what happens. We hear someone and they become that sin. Oh, you're the murderer. Oh, you're the guy who, who you know, cheated on his taxes. You're the, you know, we put these labels on people that are something less than the image of God. No, you're, you're a man made in God's image. Mm. And you've committed those sins. And those sins are heinous and ugly and God hates them. But he's made you and you reflect him. So I'm going to regard you with a dignity that is due to someone who has been made by God. That, that will transform our listening. And I think if we're, not, if we're aware and if we tune in, those people that we choose not to listen to, we do it because we actually think that they are worth less than others that we do tune into. And, and that's, that's wonderful. Um, seeing people as image bearers, being good listeners also requires us to see the impact of sin in someone's life, which would explain why, you know, the, the, they, they might behave a certain way or react a certain way to things. Uh, so seeing, seeing people as image bearers does not at all negate the fact that we see that that image has been tarnished by sin. And a lot of our listening involves, I believe, uh, again, understanding the impact that sin has had. Otherwise, how, how will the gospel drive our, our response to them? Your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think that that's really important. Let me make sure I understand your question. So you, you said that 
understanding the Im- that we are made in the image of God all- does not negate the weight of sin and its mm-hmm. consequences on our life. Yes. Yes. And so what, what was the question? Well, there how, how does asking questions, how, how does that shape the kind of questions we ask of? Yeah. So um, I love that because that is so important. And again, that's why it's, it's crucial that we understand what is the image of God that we've been made in. There is a component of the image of God there for a long time, there were people and there still are people today that believe that once Adam sinned, that the image of God was lost. But there is another group of people, and I would align myself with the second group that believes that while the image of God is um, concealed <clears throat> or or um, somehow masked by sin, it is not removed. Mm-hmm. And so the worst murder in the history of the world or you know Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or whoever, these men and women throughout history who have done terrible things, the image of God still rests in them. However, sin has marred their reflection of the mm-hmm. image of God. And so it's like throwing dirt on a mirror. The mirror is still there and it can reflect well. And it, when we regard that, when we treat a person as in or as if what is true is true, that they, they bear the image of God, but it's just that sin has gotten in the way, mm-hmm. then yeah, we treat them still with a certain dignity based on what God has done. But yeah, like you said, it does not change at all the fact that that sin is horrible and that sin distorts and ruins it. Yeah, and, and in the case of asking questions and we're you know, if we're gonna bring into this the 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 motivations, the gospel, uh, it has to, you know, it, it, it's appealing to that image bearing, uh, but understanding that sin stands in the way and, and obviously the calls for repentance and, and assurance of pardon to that person. Uh, again, we're, we're probably getting, getting a little bit, uh, not too theological, but I'd like to, to throw in an example here uh, Stuart Briscoe talks about how every church has a, a VDP, a very drainable person, and most pastors can can probably uh, identify people that that take up more of their time that maybe are uh, again we're probably maybe being a little bit too vulnerable here, but there there are the pastors do face situations where people uh, take up a lot of our time. Um, how, how does the commitment to, uh, seeing a person as an image bearer, even when our perception of them can either irritate us or make us avoid them? Um, what, what challenges is there on the pastor there? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought this up because I think one of the misunderstandings that happens a lot of times with listening is that it makes it anytime we talk about the importance of listening, it can make people think, oh, you are obligated yeah. to you know, sit there through everything that anyone says. And because God is a good listener, you need and to- And meanwhile, just- we're getting irritated. We're getting tense. We're trying to, try to look for a way out of this conversation. Right, right. Um, so I, I'll say two things about this. First of all, I, I understand and, and language, we're, we're limited in language and how we refer to these things. But I would caution us um, and I, I know that this is your heart as well, but I would caution us about using those terms mm-hmm. um, because if we're not careful, and I don't think this is what you were doing, you're bringing up the topic and I get that. Yeah. But we have to be careful in using these terms because once we start to label someone, oh, here comes the VDP, 
in our brain, we have just taken them down a notch from being an image bearer. We have just referred to that person in our heart and told our heart, basically, this is how you should think of this person. And if we're not careful, we will treat the person according to the drain that we've experienced previously, rather than according to the love that God has for them. So I understand it. Yeah, I no, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get us to avoid seeing people in, in that way. Oh, okay, okay. But I think you're saying something real, too, that, that there, we have to figure out how to, how to juggle both, right? That mm-hmm. there, there are situations that come up that if we're not careful, they will drain us completely. So how do we do that? One, continue to stir up in our hearts. This is someone that God loves. This is someone that they're worth God's time. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I serve Christ. I'm a minister of Christ on their behalf. However, and this is this has come home for us, especially in the past couple of years with teenagers in the home. Mm-hmm. We have more needs than ever in our home, more conversations that take an hour or two hours to resolve rather than 10 minutes like they used to. So now I have less resources in certain situations and I have to figure out how to handle that. Um, so I think part of how we handle it is set limits and, and we have to have these limits in ourselves and say to ourselves, Hey, you know what? This, this might go an hour if you let it, mm-hmm. how can you communicate to this person that they are important, that you do love them, that, that God loves them, but you can't give more than 20 minutes today to this topic. I interviewed the elders of the church that I attend some months ago, and they talked about the importance of not protecting the pastor. That was not the, 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 the perception at all from that conversation, but, but really supporting him. If, if there are uh, people or situations that are bogging him down, taking away from his primary task of preaching and shepherding, and uh, so, may, you know, one, one way that I would answer that question of how to respond to people that, that uh, you know, are more needy than others is, is, to, is for the elders to collaborate and how, how best can we as a community help this person? Because this is not, and again, the, the, the honest, raw conversation I'm wanting to have here is that sometimes it's, it's, it's not healthy to, to just continue doing the status quo that, that people, you know, the, the church bodies like a family, if there's someone in the, our family member that's consuming all of our attention, all of our time and draining us from being healthy, uh, the family sits together and says, okay, we need to, we need to do something about this. That's um, right. So yeah, I, I think it's been, that's been a healthy conversation, Daryl. Um, can I, can segue I say a little bit that? from that. How, how have you found, that not to get too critical here, but pastors and maybe even church leaders not being good at listening. Yeah, um, pastors and church leaders. So if we're asking pastors to do an inventory of their own listening habit and attitude here, maybe we need to talk about, you know, what does not work and what is not healthy before we can talk about ways to to maybe grow in this area. Absolutely. It's so important for for Christian leaders to be excellent listeners, really, in my opinion, to be the best listeners we know, um, because we have a message to communicate. We are communicating Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. Um, I think of listening, it's like a communication key to the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a, mm-hmm. almost think of it like a physical key. If we don't listen, our words are not shaped right for the person that we talk to. Um, pastors and Christian leaders are workers in hearts, so we have to be excellent listeners. Uh, I talked to some friends 
uh, I, I did kind of a mini unscientific poll a while back about how many of my friends thought of Christian leaders as being excellent listeners. Hmm. None of them. Hmm. None of the, the handful of people I talked to expressed that they considered pastors and Christian leaders to be excellent listeners. And I, I couldn't believe it. I, I hmm. said, none really? Like, you don't, you don't think of that? They said, no. Well, they, you know, they're great speakers. They, they have something to teach us. Now, any communication theorist would tear that apart and say, you can't teach if you can't listen. Hmm. And so that grieves me. And I, I, so I think we have a lot of work to do to, now, obviously, this is not everybody. There are pastors and leaders who are excellent listeners. But I think it was telling enough that of the small poll I took, mm-hmm. that there were, you know, none of the people thought pastors and Christian leaders are great listeners. What were pastors and leaders doing that gave them that impression? Was it based on an hour on a Sunday where maybe the pastor was not giving them squared, you know, shoulder squared attention? Or was it broader than that, you think? Yeah. um, So I talked to people across a a fairly large swath of Christian experience. So there were congregants, there were involved leaders, there were Christian counselors, there were just people across the spectrum. And I think that they were referring to just this notion, honestly, that a lot of times there are pastors and teachers who listen in order to get to telling. I see. Uh, Crawford Loritz in his book, uh, Leadership as Identity, talks about the importance of servanthood, not as a strategy, but as a way of life. Mm. And so are we serving people by listening or are we using our listening to try to open another door to just really communicate, to, to speak this thing that we really want to say. Yeah, yeah. When we yeah. That, it's an excuse to make our own point. Exactly. Yeah. And people read that loud and clear and they get they take away, okay, he's not really interested in hearing me. He wants to tell us this. Now, not to be clear, none of the people I talked to were uncharitable. They believed that the pastors and leaders that they were thinking of that it was good what they're doing because they see the importance of the message that we communicate but they did not associate excellent listening with typical pastor and and Christian leadership. So a pastor is listening to this and he might have this twinge of conviction like, Ooh, that could be me. What would you recommend for him to practice listening better? Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it starts with a heart check. Um, uh, uh, Just asking the Lord, is this true? You know, I think repentance starts with our relationship with Christ. And so coming to the Lord in prayer and saying, is this true? Am I a good listener or am I mm-hmm. not? And is there any way for me to grow? Lord, how would you have me grow to be a better listener so I communicate Christ to people? Mm-hmm. You and I both know how easy it is as pastors to get onto our agenda for the people we lead and, and set aside what is God's agenda here. We are ministers of Christ to people. And so I think it starts with asking God. But then some practical steps, look at the Lord throughout Scripture. Look at how God listens. Look at the facts of how Jesus considered. How many times do we see in the New Testament, Jesus, knowing their hearts, did such and such a thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did he know their hearts? Right. Yeah. Now, he's, he's God, and he may have known things through the Spirit of God whispering in his ear or you know, things that we can't necessarily do in the same way. But for us, I have to listen. I have to tune in to the people around me and think, okay, what, what's going on in that life 
that leads that person to that brokenness? Mm-hmm. What's going on in their life that leads them to say that thing that they just said that was so hurtful? Um, so as I said earlier, if listening is communication hospitality, are we as pastors and Christian leaders, are we hospitable with our communication? Or are we just trying to drive through a, a message in our time? And people know the difference, don't they? They really do. Yeah. They can feel it. They can yeah. feel it. You know, the proverb that says that a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You have, you have this, this mental picture of beautiful, ornate jewelry. Mm-hmm. And that is a word aptly spoken. So a word spoken at the right time. Well, how do we know it's at the right time? Just, mm. just by barging in and speaking because we're just so smart. We're never going to be that smart. We're never going to be so smart that we know the hidden motives of everyone's hearts around us, but we can tune in a little bit and walk into a room and maybe it's quiet because someone's grieving. And if we walk in and say like, Hey, everybody's so quiet. We need to get on the page of what the Lord's doing. You know, and they're like, ouch, bull in a China shop. How about you back out the way you came, Mm. you know, Mm. but maybe they're quiet because Somebody just said something funny and they were all laughing two seconds before we walked in. If we walk in and we take over, we've just stolen the energy out of the room and put it on us. So, and a word aptly spoken, we tune in. What are the, what are the little cues that we can pay attention to? I would also say to that Christian leader that's trying to grow, ask the people around him or her as a leader, Hey, am I a good listener? (laughs) No doubt. The people around us can answer that. Uh, no, Daryl, you're not. Mm-hmm. You don't listen well at all. Or yeah, sometimes you listen well when, when you think I'm saying what you want to hear, or when you think I'm saying the right thing, you listen, but if I'm wrong, you lay into me so fat, you know, so listen, ask people, am I a good listener? And then maybe take notes. If that's, if you're a note taker, maybe, maybe record the conversation with their permission and come back to it and replay it. So you can pay close attention to what they said. But really, you know, it starts with a posture of humility. God is better than us, and we, we need him to grow. And, and being willing to ask people and actually take steps to grow in what, what the Lord is revealing to us. Yeah, I love that. The two instructive moments in, in my life, again, uh, one was my, one of my children uh, informing. It was so helpful. I, I didn't, again, because there's such a level of trust, I, I think. In fact, I love the fact that they feel comfortable to, uh, to bring things up because I've spent my whole, you know, parenting, you know, instructing them and kind of guiding them. And it's wonderful when you have this rapport, but, uh, uh, you know, the tendency that I have is to, uh, is to in the middle of an answer, maybe jump in with another question and it's related, but it's not allowing them to completely finish their thoughts. And again, that's a hard, that's not just a dialogue. I'm not just talking here about, okay, I, you said this, I said this, I interrupted you because it was connect. It's Again, it's, it has to do with the heart of the person, uh, listening to the burden, uh, the passion that's there. And then the other one was a very good friend of mine that we're, we're collaborating together on some ministry. <laughs> he sat down with me one time. He says, Mitch, let me finish my entire thought first <laughs> before you ask another question. And it takes patience <laughs> to do yeah, that right. uh, because some people, they, they need to, you know, process, you know, what's up here in their mind needs to be verbally laid out on the table fully uh, for them to be satisfied that they have communicated everything 
that they wanted to. So it's been wonderful. I guess maybe there's a little sense of being defensive when people, uh, you know, encourage you or admonish you, but, uh, but it's so helpful. And I, I agree with you. Ask people close to you. Uh, hey, how am I doing? Uh, how can I improve here? Uh, there's so many other things I wanted to say here. In fact, there were some quotes I wanted to, to give from your, from your paper. Um, but before I do that, and we'll wrap up here in a bit, um, is there a way to ask questions that solicits a heart response? I mean, even, for example, we, we, this is so basic, we know that it's best not to ask questions that solicit just a yes or a no. But go a little deeper with us there. What, what would you encourage? So the question is, how can we ask questions, or is there a way to ask questions that, that really get a heart the answer? heart, yes. Yeah. That maybe That's- take the conversation deeper than the perfunctory, you know, and, and maybe, we're, maybe we're talking about this being practiced in the lobby of church or, you know, a small group or at home. You know, because I think I think we're being challenged here to go deeper with each other, and questions is a is an integral part of that. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think asking good questions it, it's a skill that we can grow in. Um, I think, as you pointed out, people read very quickly whether or not our question is coming from a person who desires to actually hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there there are better questions than others. Um, I think it's really situational, um, but but being willing to push past the the you know initial yes or no or you know if if you say if I say to you or this happens with our kids all the time um, not so much anymore but you know mm-hmm. they come home from school and you know that question how was your day mm-hmm. good okay well that was that was great um, you know so learning to ask more questions so what question do you ask instead of how was your day yeah how was first period I know that you had a test yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or who sits next to you in class? Mm. Uh, do, you, do you get along with them well? Um, hey, you started off that you're really excited about that teacher. Are you still excited about her or him? Or do you feel like they are just kind of teaching at you? Mm. So I think the best questions involve information that we already know. Or if you don't know a person at all, the best questions you try a little bit to speculate. You're taking the temperature of the person as you ask the question. So if I don't know what it's like to be in a biker gang and I come across somebody who's in a biker gang, (laughs) I've never been in a biker gang. But I can say like, hey, do you really travel all over the country with a bunch of folks that you might barely know them other than the fact that you all have Harleys? Well, I've never been in a biker gang, but I can imagine based on knowing humans that sometimes road trips are cool, sometimes they're terrible. So I'm, I'm taking a little bit of information that I know about human experience and I'm trying to forecast it on what they might say, but then they might say, dude, buzz off. Or yeah, yeah. they might yeah. say, yeah, it's, it's actually really cool. And I can say, oh man, that, I feel like that would be tough after a while. You know, so you're using a little bit of what you know and giving them the opportunity to build on it. But if we're not listening, it doesn't matter how good of a question we ask, we're shutting the communication down with our very posture. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's, it's an openness. Posture is important, obviously, you know, our posture with people. Um, I, love, I love asking people how their, their week was, and then they answer, and then I'll say, well, what was, what was the highlight of it? You yeah. know, and, it, and people light up. You know, even if it's a brief conversation in the church lobby, people seem to, uh, seem to be excited that someone is interested in their, in their life. 
That's right. Um, it's like, thanks for caring, right? Yes, exactly. And, and people are longing for that. I think people by nature are very lonely and probably don't have a lot of people that do ask them a question. And there's something about church leadership, particularly the pastor, that when they show interest in people that are, they're, you know, that they're shepherding, um, I think it, it, it's uplifting. And right. uh, if, if pastors can practice this, even if it might seem orchestrated, uh, you know, find, find one or two people every Sunday and, you know, square your shoulder and look them in the eye and don't be slanted looking for the first opportunity to escape the conversation, you know, <laughs> right. um, it's rewarding. Uh, it, it really, you know, listening to someone's heart and realizing that they're responding to your interest in them can be very, very rewarding. That's right. Let me, uh, again, I, there, I had so much more to, to ask here, but because of time, let's, let's kind of wrap this up uh, slowly here. Uh, I love your quote of Bonhoeffer, if you don't mind me uh, quoting this and getting your response. Um, do you remember this one? I uh, do. You said, it is God's love for us that, that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us the, his ear. So it is his work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to him. Christians, especially when, especially ministers, so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a great service, greater service than speaking. Yeah. Reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, it's such a great quote. Um, Bonhoeffer writes, you know, extensively in his book, Life Together, about these dynamics of, mm -hmm. of people interacting with each other. And um, I think that's so important. And, and, you know, mixed in with his statement there, uh, that's his quote, just to be clear again, right, mixed right. in with, with his statement is, is this understand that we do have something to say. And, and while God is an excellent listener, he is not only a listener. And there are times in scripture where God says, I will not hear, I will not listen mm -hmm. to your prayers. And we have to balance all this. But I think that unfortunately where we are in the culture that I'm most familiar with, um, we need to learn a lot better how to listen. So he makes that statement about speaking is not the only service that we have to render to each other, but listening can be a greater service even than speaking. And I think that that's so crucial. It, again, it gets back to this notion of hospitality. We see Jesus inviting people to himself. We see him, him asking people questions. And he could have just walked around, you know, mm -hmm. touching, oh, you're healed from leprosy. You're healed from, you know, or hey, your, your daughter's healed back at home. You, I bet you have an, actually, I don't have to bet. I know you have an issue of blood. You know, there you are, you're healed. Mm -hmm. But he, he engaged with people. And what a blessing that is. We see his, his gentleness displayed by him listening to people that he didn't have to listen to. We see his, his, the accuracy of his ministry is reinforced by him listening and then him speaking. So it's almost like this constant reproving of the validity of Christ and his message by how he listens to people. And we do that same thing to people when we're hospitable to people, when we receive them, and when we are quiet, especially as pastors who preach and, and those who teach, when we choose to be quiet, to set aside all of our much learning in favor of receiving from the people that we're interacting with, that tells them, you're very important to me. Mm -hmm. 
and it says, you're so important that, yeah, I have other things I could say or do, but guess what? All of what I have to say and do is not the only thing that's important in life. You're important. Can you tell me how you're doing today? Or you're important. Tell me about how your job's going, you know, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I, yeah, I love that. That's good. You mentioned the preaching, uh, you know, good preaching or telling requires listening. And I, I thought of the, the uh, we, and I think you touched on this as well, that, that the congregation collectively um, is sometimes experiencing something or, or I guess what I'm trying to say is how, or let me ask this question, how can the pastor uh, be in touch with the congregation listening to the collective body so that he can preach effectively to that body. Um, you know, I mean, for example, sometimes we look at the, our congregation and we think everybody's happy to be here. Well, there's some people have had a really hard week and a pastor can't be there with everybody every single day to know what the mood is or what the collective, you know, uh, personality or burden is. Um, I know you, we didn't get to it, but you talk about, you know, being in the word of God, being in prayer. Uh, what else can the pastor do to understand the mood of his congregation and even the worship leader? Cause that yeah, affects our worship, you know, it affects the, the kind of songs and the way we lead our songs. It really does. Um, that I, I refer to this. I know you and I've talked about, uh, John Stott's idea of double listening. That yeah. Was yeah. I was going to ask that. Good. Yeah. That was his emphasis really was on, uh, um, he, he wrote this book called The Contemporary Christian. The title is really misleading because it makes it sound like he's talking about a specific time. But his, his point is for us to be contemporary, for us to be tuned in, to be the idea of double listening is that we would be listeners to the word of God and anchored in the word of God, but also tuned in to the people that we minister among. And so when you ask about what we can do, um, start he, he talks about this extensively being tuned in, you know, read the newspaper, read, read what's going on, you know, for us that maybe it's less the newspaper, but tune into Twitter. You know, I think uh, Twitter and, and Instagram and social media, a lot of pastors, I think rightly sometimes give it such a bad rap because there's so much trash there, but there's a lot of stuff that's not trash. And even if it's trash, there's ways that we can learn what are people thinking about lately? You know, you might have seen this thing lately about, you know, with Kanye West and his very public, mm -hmm. uh, public emphasis on exalting Christ. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, there's, a, there's an article that was just produced or published a number of people talking about that. Apparently, there are over a thousand decisions for Christ yeah. at his service this past Sunday. Now, there's all kinds of ways that people are going to pick that apart. And, you know, were they genuine conversions? And sure, that's worthwhile. But the point is this. There is something he's tapped into. Yeah that a lot of people who are not stuck in their churches are aware of. And a lot of people who are listening to the culture, they would do well to listen. What's going on with him? What's he doing? Uh, so here. And he's bringing, he's bringing pastors in to preach the gospel too, which I think is phenomenal. Um, yes. So, so how, uh, yeah, go ahead. Finish your thoughts. Speaking of listening, I want to hear you out totally here. <laughs> um, we got distracted by Conway. <laughs> right. Kanye. Uh, Kanye. Good, good catch. Uh, so, yeah. So um, one of Stott's protégés, uh, Dr. Scharf, Greg Scharf was a professor of mine at Trinity. He wrote a book where he carries this on. He talks about the importance of 
tuning into a number of different things that are going on with people. So like, what is the general spiritual state of people? What's their worldview? What kind of generations are in our churches? And what does that generation tend to emphasize or de-emphasize? What's the average education level of the people we're ministering with? What's the gender distribution? What's the age distribution? You know, are there servicemen and women in our church? How do they tend to think differently than people who have never mm. served in the military? Um, what's the level of the hunger for the word of God in our churches? Or are people kind of like, you do the Bible thing and we'll listen? You know, uh, how long have people been a part of this church? So what things, what are the things throughout the history of this church that people have experienced? And how does that play into their current experience of the church? Um, you talked about the worship leaders. Are the worship leaders tuned in to just 90s Christian praise music? Or are they aware of what the average person in the congregation has on their radio? Or, you know what, that's, that's my talk. We, mm -hmm. a lot, who uses the radio anymore? A lot of people don't listen to the radio. They listen to Spotify and they have playlists. And what do people have on their playlists? So obviously these things are not just listening with our ears, but they have to do with tuning in to what's going on with people. And I so think knowing your people, uh, as, as uh, you know, Peter talks about the shepherd knowing, knowing the sheep. That's right. Uh, I love your, um, oh, by, by the way, that book by Larry Crabb is called so Soul Talk. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just remember that. Actually, I Googled it while you were talking, but I was listening. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh, I, you borrow a phrase, but I think from someone else, uh, listening habit, developing a listening habit. What, what is that? And how can someone grow in, in listening to where it becomes a habit? I love that idea. I love the idea. Yeah. So again, starting with the spirit of God, right? We are, we're mm. Christians. And so any good thing that we want to happen in our lives is not going to come just through self-effort. It's going to come through bowing our knees and bowing our heart to the Lord and saying, God, I see this. I believe it's good. Do you want this? Please help me. So it mm. starts relationally coming to God, acknowledging our, our inability and saying, please help me cultivate this. I see the need for it. Um, and as we grow in devotion to the Lord and as we grow in humility, the fruit of the spirit will begin to erupt in our mm. lives. Mm. You know, the, and so we will be taught by God and we will become more loving, more joyful, peace, peaceful, patient, all the fruit of the spirit. But there are, there are some tips and tricks like you talked about, you know, learning to ask good questions. But this, the grief to me is when we learn those tips and tricks, but our hearts are not changed. If we learn to ask good questions and we learn to, to be good uh, communicators with people, but our hearts are not changed, we're still going to be terrible listeners mm. who are just really good at soliciting information from people. And so we can grow in habits of good listening, uh, but it, it's, it's very seldom going to be an overnight thing. Uh, you know, you don't cultivate a habit overnight. You cultivate a habit by having your heart changed and that's when the habits last. And so learn the tips and tricks, talk with people, ask people, ask, find good listeners around you and ask them, hey, how do you do it? Or observe them. Mm -hmm. um, but but the, the beginning work is a work of God in our hearts where we bow our hearts and our knee and our lives to the Lord and say, God, I think I've been way too caught up in myself and in what I have to say. Would you help me to become a better listener? And I think that what happens is that over time, we will look back and we'll find 
people saying, hey, you're such a good listener and we'll be shocked because all we've been doing is tuning into the Lord and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. But other people around us have been experiencing, wow, you really paid attention to me when I said that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. No one else ever has. And, and we will ar have arrived at that habit by humbling ourselves before God and serving other people in our communication. So I, I'm really tempted to talk about, you know, ways that we can do it, you know, little lists that we can write down. And I'm sure that there are people that would do that better than I do. I could, you know, they can give a list better than I can, but I would just draw our hearts to the living God who he wants to be manifest in our lives. He wants to be, to be demonstrated in our lives. And so as we press into him, he is changing us and he will conform us to the image of his dear Yeah, son. it's really asking the Lord to give us a love, for, his love for people, to see people as he sees them. Right. Um, you know, we have this conversation at home a lot, my wife and I do, that, you know, when we talk about people, particularly when we were pastoring, when we were burdened for people, uh, we, would, we would try to unpack what was really going on in their life, you know, so that we could really know how to to respond because I think sometimes there's this knee jerk reaction to what is said or what is done or not done. And then, you know, a lot of conflict happens because we're reacting to someone's reaction. It's a reaction to a reaction. You know, we forget that there's a person there. There's, there's a, there's a, a contributor uh, right. to what we saw and, and trying to understand the heart of someone, the burden of someone I think allows us to see them as, as God sees them. Um, Daryl, you, I, I love your emphasis on the heart and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked also about practical things. Another thing I thought of that, you know, pa pastors do tend to be outgoing extroverts. Most, most pastors have, whether they're naturally that way or not, they're forced to. And so we do talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think maybe one encouragement uh, is, is for a pastor to sometimes just, just listen and, yeah. and not say as much, you know, maybe if it's in a meeting or in the lobby or wherever it is. Um, and I think one of the things we've touched on as well, because I think we're as good, um, you know, with our congregation when it comes out of a heart, a healthy heart, and a lot of that challenges also at home. And we've talked a good bit about still listening to our kids. I love that part of our conversation that we've had, that uh, this is much about what's happening at the home. Uh, I think more importantly, what's happening in the home. Um, you know, ministry is really, pastoring is an extension, you know, of that primary responsibility we have. And in a sense, um, any, anything that, any way you want to wrap this up, uh, as an encouragement to, to those listening. Yeah. I, I, well, two things, if I may, one thing that came up as I was thinking about our time together is just fruitful vine ministry. And so, so often we talk about care for ministry leaders who are in crisis and in mm -hmm. hurt. And I think that this topic of listening is so absolutely important for caring for hurting leaders, because I think that so often leaders get to such a desperate place because they've not had anyone mm. in their lives that wants to genuinely listen to that leader's mm. heart. Yeah. I, ha I have at any given point, and this is, this is by the grace of God and by the hard work of these men in my life, but I have at any given point five or six men that I can tell anything to. And I have used that. I've mm. reached out to men and said, please pray for me and, and proceeded to tell them 
the ugliness in my heart at that moment. And I, I will tell you, I believe that when I see the Lord, he will tell me how much those relationships have preserved me from catastrophe. And because I think that those men and their willingness to hear me and to receive me as brother, not just pastor who might misstep or not just, um, you know, elder who could fail in this way or whatever, but these men who can say to me, I hear you. I'm so sorry that that's going on. They listen to me as, as a man, Mm -hmm. as a person made in the image of God, who's got all the same strengths and weaknesses and challenges and excellent things as anybody else. And so I think as we want to care for through Fruitful Vine, especially you, as we want to care for and equip churches to care for men and women in ministry, this issue of listening is absolutely essential. And so can we free up pastors and leaders for them to be heard? If we do, we will help them to be ministers of God on our behalf in, in so much better and more... Um, more durable ways. Yeah, oh, I love that. You're, you're encouraging the pastor to find someone to listen to them, that if That's they right. don't have someone who in their life who is there to listen to their, their heart, then begin making some moves to, towards that. And again, that's what our ministry, you're on my leadership team, and we've, we've talked a lot about this as a ministry of being available to, to pastors. And, and so we would encourage people to... Uh, Again, recommend we don't apologize that we're you know this ministry is there for that. Uh, right. Daryl, thank you so much. This has been really encouraging and challenging. And Can I say one more thing? Yeah, absolutely, please. All right, I'll keep it short. I won't force you to listen to. <laughs> I can't wait to listen. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is just that this is intensely doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Good. sometimes yeah. if if we hear something that seems so foreign to us, it can seem like oh, that's just for people who are wired this way or wired that way. No, the, the essence of my research that I want to keep doing is to, to see and help people see this is who God is. And so because this is who God is, he can show up in each one of our lives to do this. Mm-hmm. We can become that better listener for our spouse, for our children, for our friends, family, church, whatever. We can become that better listener, not just by hunkering down and just going into the cave and working on it, but we can become a better listener because this is who God is and he can strengthen his people by the power of the Holy spirit to become like he is. He wants to work through us. And so I want to encourage people that might feel like this is completely just for somebody else. Yeah. 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 Some of the different personality can be better at this. What we're saying. Yeah. No, it's for every one of us because this is God's work in us. It's, you know, Philippians two, 12 and 13, that work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good mm. pleasure. So God can do this in us if we will but yield to him and say, Lord, I welcome you. Have, mm. have at it. I love it. I love it. Great final words. And uh, Daryl, you, you've modeled this topic for yourself and your relationship with me. So thank you. And it's been, so a, been a privilege to uh, process and talk about this with you. This is great. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Before You Quit. Uh, If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit, 
you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, until next year, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And don't forget what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 